Well, I'm sure you've probably figured out by now that there is no such thing as a life free from trouble, right? We, we all experience uh, certainly real trouble at times in our lives, and yet when we plan ahead, I think when we, when we dream about our future, when we think about how our lives are going to be moving forward, I don't think most people factor in the troubles that are bound to come along the way, right? We, we, generally, uh, we generally don't plan on losing our jobs. Right? We don't plan on losing our marriages. We, we don't plan on losing our health or losing our loved ones or losing our way in this life. And yet those are all realities for different people at different points along the way, aren't they? And that's just the tip of the iceberg. We could probably uh, go around this room today and hear about one trouble after another that different people here have actually had to face at some point in their lives. Troubles that I bet were not expected and not planned for. For the most part, it's because we cannot plan for every eventuality that comes our way, can we? We, we cannot possibly be expected to predict every potential difficulty that we will ever face in this life, even though we know they will come in one form or another. And yet for the follower of Jesus Christ, even knowing that troubles will come, it's still no reason for us to live in fear or to live without hope. Because our God not only knows what we are facing today, even better than we do, in fact, but he knows what we will face tomorrow and every single day after that. And because he knows what we're facing and what we will face in the days to come, he has provided for us a place of refuge. It's where in times of trouble, you find protection and provision and rest and healing, freedom and life. Ultimately, the hope for the future that we all long for, even in the depths of your darkest hours. And make no mistake about it, it's something that has been provided for and actually only could be provided for by Jesus Christ because ultimately he alone is our refuge. Yet knowing that truth, it still doesn't always stop us from trying to find refuge in many other things when, we, uh, when our lives aren't going the way we'd hoped they would, right? Sometimes we cling uh, to just about everything but Jesus Christ when our circumstances seem to conspire against us, and therein lies the dilemma for many Christians today. When we find ourselves in trouble, in peril, facing very real problems, sometimes we try to find refuge in all of the wrong things, okay? Your bank account cannot shelter you from every storm in this life that comes your way. You can't. The power of positive thinking and good vibes will not sustain you through times of great loss. A new relationship will not heal the wounds from past relationships. Creating a new routine alone will not bring freedom from old bondages. Right? Your own willpower will never be enough to power you through life's harshest struggles. Okay? When, when your life is completely turned upside down, the only things this world can offer you at best 
are temporary distractions from the troubles that you face. The truth is, the, the protection, the provision, uh, the rest, the healing, the freedom, the life, the hope, all those things that we need, that we look for when we can't solve our own problems, all of that comes when you take refuge in Jesus Christ. We have a very practical and actually a very prophetic uh, picture of that in our story today as we're going to continue our sermon series working our way through the book of Joshua. Now in the last uh, installment of this series, the last time we were together a few weeks ago, we were in chapter 11. Today we're picking the story back up at chapter 20. The reason being the eight chapters between 11 and 20 are basically lists of the kings and people groups and cities who were conquered by the Israelites during the conquest of Canaan. It was also a list of uh, the land allotments that were given to the different tribes of Israel. So it is pertinent information in understanding the division of the land amongst the different tribes, but for the sake of the narrative, the larger story here, uh, we're going to jump to chapter 20 today. And actually, uh, we won't take the time to read all the way through chapter 21. We'll just do chapter 20 this morning. But 21 is another list. Uh, it's a list of the cities that were given to the Levites. Um, and, and in this message today, that is encompassed as a part of it. All of chapters 20 and 21, as we'll see, even though we're just going to read through chapter 20. Okay, so we're going to pick up the story at Joshua chapter 20. And we'll start by reading the first three verses, and we're going to see what his word tells us about a place of refuge. Let's read it together. Then the Lord said to Joshua, say to the people of Israel, appoint the cities of refuge of which I spoke to you through Moses, that the manslayer who strikes any person without intent or unknowingly may flee there. They shall be for you a refuge from the avenger of blood. Now, back in uh, Exodus 21, God instructs Moses that he will set up these cities of refuge in Canaan for anyone who causes someone else to die without premeditation or without harmful intent. In other words, anyone who commits uh, the equivalent of involuntary manslaughter today as opposed to someone who willfully commits murder. And so God is saying he will provide a place of refuge for these people who are in serious trouble, and then he expands on those instructions in detail, uh, which we're going to look at as we go. He expands on that in Numbers 35 and also in uh, Deuteronomy 4 and Deuteronomy 19. And so here in chapter 20 of Joshua, now that the tribal allotments have been given out over the last eight chapters and the land is being settled by the Israelites, God says to Joshua here, hey, it's time now to set up these cities of refuge that I told Moses about since the fighting has essentially ended and Israel has taken possession of the land. And so there were to be six cities chosen among the Levitical cities for this purpose. Three would be east of the Jordan and three west of the Jordan to provide a place of refuge to the one who was being pursued by the avenger of blood, according to verse 3. The avenger of blood is described in the ancient Hebrew as gal'al, which means to redeem. It was generally used to refer in other parts of scripture to the kinsman redeemer. 
Right? In Hebrew culture, the kinsman redeemer was typically the nearest male relative who was responsible to protect the family's lives and liberty and property and so on. But when a life was taken, the kinsman redeemer would become the avenger of blood. He was responsible in cases of murder to put the murderer to death, according to Numbers 35:19, thereby redeeming the blood of the family member who was killed. And it wasn't uh, the kinsman redeemer's responsibility, by the way, to determine guilt or innocence in that case. We'll look at that more in a moment. But for the kinsman redeemer, it was simply his job to redeem the blood of his dead relative. And so if you killed someone, whether you meant it or not, the avenger of blood was coming for you. And so God provides a way of salvation for the manslayer, the one who was guilty of killing another. God made a way for that person to not only escape certain death, but also to have a hope and a future beyond his guilt and shame, as we'll see. It's a tremendous foreshadowing of the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, who is our salvation from death and a refuge from the consequences of our own guilt and shame, okay? And so he sets aside six specific cities that were strategically spaced out north to south and east to west. We'll look at that more in a moment so that no matter where you were in Canaan, if you were in trouble, there was a place of refuge that you could run to before being caught by the avenger of blood. But here's the point. If you were in trouble, you had to run into that place of refuge. Remember, God said to Joshua, appoint the cities of refuge of which I spoke to you through Moses, that the manslayer who strikes any person without intent or unknowingly may flee there. Okay? If the one who was in trouble wanted to find salvation and protection and life, he didn't simply stay where he was and demand protection as a member of the nation of Israel. No, he actually had to run into that place of refuge. And likewise for us today, refuge in Christ is something we run into. It's not something we, we sit around and wait for to show up. Okay, King Solomon wrote, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. Proverbs 18.10. You see, if you're facing real trouble today in your life, my first question for you is, have you run into Jesus Christ? Because he is our place of refuge. He is our place of salvation. He is our place of hope when everything in our lives seems hopeless. But listen, you have to run into him. King David, a man who was well acquainted with trouble, wrote, in you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Psalm 31.1. Right? He didn't say, in my understanding of you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Because although understanding is certainly important, our refuge isn't found by the understanding we have about Jesus Christ. Right? He didn't say, in my testimony about what you've done in my past, O Lord, do I take refuge. Because although our testimony is very important, our refuge isn't found in our testimony about Jesus Christ. 
Notice he didn't say, in my membership in the nation of Israel, O Lord, do I take refuge. No, because although identifying ourselves with God's people is very important, our refuge isn't found in identifying with any group or any church or any ministry. No, our refuge is found in and only in the person of Jesus Christ, which means if you're going to find refuge, you must be found in him. You must run into Jesus Christ, whether you've never done that before or you've done it a thousand times before. When trouble comes, your refuge in that time of trouble can only be found in Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul said it this way, in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, Galatians 3, 26 and 27. Some translations say it this way, all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Does that give you a picture in your mind? When you put your clothes on, they are over you, around you, on you, you are in your clothing. Right? You get a picture of what it means to be in Christ because it's far more than knowing things about him. It's, it's far more than praying a prayer of commitment at some point in your past to him. It's far more even than identifying yourself with his people. Being in Christ is getting up every morning and clothing yourself with Christ. Being in him to the point that your old self is no longer even recognizable, which means your sense of security is now found in him. And your faith is now found in him. And your confidence is found in him. And your healing is found in him. And your freedom is found in him. And your hope is found in him. In fact, if you were to be separated from Christ, no one would even know who you were because your very identity is now found in Jesus Christ. You see, when your life is truly given over to Jesus, Paul says you have died. Now your life is hidden with Christ in God. Colossians 3.3. 3. That is where refuge is found in times of trouble when you run straight into Jesus Christ. So listen to me. If you're in trouble today, run to Jesus Christ. If your situation seems hopeless, run to Jesus Christ. If your hurt is more than you can bear, Run to Jesus Christ and there in him alone you will find refuge. L listen, David was hunted by Saul for years. Some people say seven years. Some say a decade or more. Can we even imagine the amount of stress that David must have been under? The pressure that he endured for so long running for his very life from Saul and later from others. 
day after day, month after month, year after agonizing year, wondering each day if that would be his last on this earth. The truth is, I cannot imagine it. I have no idea what that must have been like, and yet David knew that he couldn't simply run away from Saul in order to survive. If he was to find refuge, he would have to run straight into God. That's why on the day that he was finally delivered from those who sought his life for so long, David wrote these words. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God, my rock, in whom I take refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the name of the Lord who's worthy to be praised and I'm saved from my enemies. The cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death that confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help from his temple. He heard my voice and my cry to him reached his ears. The earth reeled and rocked. The foundations also of the mountains trembled and quaked because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed down the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. He came swiftly on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him, thick clouds dark with water. Out of the brightness before him, hailstones and coals of fire broke through his clouds. The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the Most High uttered his voice, hailstones and coals of fire. And he sent out his arrows, scattered them. He flashed forth lightnings, routed them. And then the channels of the sea were seen, and the foundations of the world were laid bare at your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils. He sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me. Because he delighted in me. Thank you, Father, that you hear our cry. You actually delight in defending us in our darkest hours. Truly, you are a rock. You are a fortress. You are a deliverer in whom we can take refuge when we run into you. Let's keep reading. Verses 4 through 6. He shall flee to one of these cities and shall stand at the entrance of the gate of the city and explain his case to the elders of that city. Then they shall take him into the city and give him a place and he shall remain with them. And if the avenger of blood pursues him, they shall not give up the manslayer into his hand because he struck his neighbor unknowingly and did not hate him in the past. He shall remain in that city until he has stood before the congregation for judgment until the death of him who is the high priest at the time. 
Then the manslayer may return to his own town and his own home to the town from which he fled. So once you ran to a city of refuge, you would stand before the elders of that city, the local authorities, at the gate of the city before you could enter. In biblical times, the gate of a city would consist of a, a, usually a towered entrance and a large open area where people would often gather to conduct business or to hold public meetings, and in this instance, to hear the case of the accused. So the city gates functioned in that time much like a town hall or a community center. And there the elders, whose job it was to determine whether or not the manslayer would be granted asylum, they would meet with the accused at the city gate and hear his story and then either accept him or turn him away. But once admitted into the city, it was also the elder's job to protect the manslayer from the avenger of blood should he continue his pursuit. So at that point, for the most part, uh, the manslayer was relegated to a life within the city walls. In fact, we know from Numbers 35 that if the manslayer were to venture outside of the city at any point, he was fair game for the avenger of blood. The law actually said if the manslayer shall at any time go beyond the boundaries of his city of refuge to which he fled, and the avenger of blood finds him outside of the boundaries of his city of refuge, and the avenger of blood kills the manslayer, he shall not be guilty of blood, for he must remain in his city of refuge until the death of the high priest. But after the death of the high priest, the manslayer may return to the land of his possession. Numbers 35, 26 through 28. So interestingly, the accused was both saved and at the same time, in a very real way, incarcerated by the city of refuge. So there wasn't actually true freedom for the manslayer unless one very special thing occurred, which is mentioned both in Joshua 26 and in Numbers 35:28, which we just read. The manslayer must remain in a city of refuge until the death of the high priest. After the death of the high priest, the manslayer may return to his land of possession. And so only upon the death of the high priest may the manslayer finally be truly set free and return to his home to live out his life without fear of death by the avenger of blood. Hebrews 2.17, referring to Jesus Christ, says, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. And so once again, the work of the law on behalf of God's people under the old covenant foreshadows the work of Christ on behalf of God's people under the new covenant as the death of the high priest under both covenants is required for people who are imprisoned by their guilt to finally experience true freedom. It is a clear reminder that refuge in Christ is the only way to freedom. In John 8, 34 through 36, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you are free indeed. Okay, without Christ, every single one of us is a slave to his own sin. 
You understand, it, it doesn't matter how squeaky clean you try to live your life, how many good deeds you do for other people, or how religious you may be. If you are not in Christ, you are in prison. You may not realize it, you may not believe it, you may not feel like it, but the truth is the truth. In fact, in fact, our feelings have absolutely no bearing on truth whatsoever. Feelings change. The truth never changes. Feelings will betray you. The truth may cut you to your core, but it will never betray you. Feelings will lead you dreadfully astray. Feelings will imprison you. The truth will only lead you to Christ. The truth will set you free. You see, it's not, that, it's not that feelings are all bad, but they're also not the foundation we should be building our lives upon. The truth, Jesus Christ, is the only foundation that our lives should be built upon because he is the only pathway to freedom. Yet we live in a culture today that is ruled by feelings. In pop culture today, everything is subjective depending upon how we feel about it. So the stronger we feel about something, the more right it must be until truth is determined by our ever-changing feelings instead of by the unchanging word of God. And as a result, I'm telling you, we're experiencing a wholesale rejection of absolute objective truth in our society that is rooted in God's word in favor of a subjective truth that is based upon whatever changing feelings happen to rule the day. The real travesty of that kind of thinking is that we believe we're creating a free society. We believe we're creating a place of refuge for those who have decided to determine their own truth, while in reality, all we're doing is creating a prison for ourselves, sinking deeper and deeper into bondage than we've ever been before. That's what happens when you let your feelings determine your truth. Okay? Listen, I, I don't particularly like everything that's in the Bible. Right? I, I wish I didn't have to die to myself to crucify my own flesh, my own will, what I want, in deference to what he wants. I mean, are you kidding me? That's hard to do. That's really difficult. At times, it is painful. It's certainly not enjoyable, but that is what his word says we must do if we're going to be able to follow Jesus Christ, which is the only true pathway to freedom. You see, if we're going to experience real freedom in our lives and in the next, the only answer is to seek refuge in the truth of Jesus Christ alone. Let's finish the chapter, verses 7 through 9. So they set apart Kadesh in Galilee in the hill country of Naphtali, and Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim, and Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the hill country of Judah, 
And beyond the Jordan, east of Jericho, they appointed Bezer in the wilderness on the tableland from the tribe of Reuben, Ramoth and Gilead, the tribe of Gad, and Golan and Bashan, and the tribe of Manasseh. These were the cities designated for all the people of Israel and for the strangers sojourning among them, that anyone who killed a person without intent could flee there so that he might not die by the hand of the avenger of blood till he stood before the congregation. And so in this last passage in the chapter, the six cities of refuge are named, which were all among the 48 cities, by the way, allotted to the Levites, the priests of the Lord listed in chapter 21. And because of their uh, geographical locations in Canaan, no matter where you were in the land, you were actually never more than a day's travel away from one of these refuge cities, which again was critical if you were being pursued by someone who was trying to kill you. And yet their significance went far beyond their geographical locations because they all held great prophetic significance for us today as a representation of who Jesus Christ is, a refuge for all those who run to him, as we'll see. Okay, west of the Jordan, from north to south, were first of all Kadesh, the first city of refuge, which means holy place. Hebrews 9.24 says, For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Next was Shechem, which means strong shoulder. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And then there was Hebron, which means fellowship. 1 Corinthians 1.9 says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Then east of the Jordan, from north to south, were Golan, which means enclosure for captives. Luke 4.18, Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. And then there was Ramoth Gilead, which means high place. And Ephesians 2, 4 through 6 says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And then finally there was Bezer, which means strong hiding place. And Colossians 3.3, 3, which we read earlier, says, For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You see, these cities represented everything that the people of God needed in their greatest times of trouble. And yet there was something more about them, something profoundly more, which we find in verse 9 that says, these were the cities designated for all the people of Israel and for the stranger sojourning among them. So the refuge provided by these cities for God's people was extended to the Gentiles among them, which is a poignant reminder to all of us that refuge in Christ is actually available to everyone. Okay, to, to ancient Near Eastern cultures, the shedding of innocent blood uh, brought an imbalance as well as a great injustice to the created order of things. 
Blood was representative of life. And so the unjust spilling of it brought a curse upon the land, which you'll find in many ancient writings, including Deuteronomy 19.10 and Numbers 35.33. And so when the manslayer, even by accident, when he spilled the blood of another, balance had to be brought back to the land by atoning for the shedding of innocent blood. The point being, there was no more dire circumstance. There was no more hopeless situation you could find yourself in than to be guilty, intentionally or not, of spilling the blood of the innocent. But because of the love of God for this world, there was a hope given, a gift given, not only to the Jews, but to anyone now, to anyone who would seek refuge in one of these cities, a hope that promised atonement, forgiveness, a new life that was otherwise utterly impossible. It is the very picture of what Jesus Christ has provided to anyone, Jew or Gentile, anyone who seeks refuge in him today. You see, the Apostle Paul wrote, all have sinned, falls short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23, that means apart from Christ, every single one of us is guilty, unworthy and unable to secure our own salvation. Without Christ, we are doomed to condemnation and death, a life without hope and an eternity in darkness. But because of God's love for us, Paul was able to continue writing one of the most hopeful passages in all of Scripture. He said, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith, Romans 3, 23 through 25. You understand that without Christ, you are pronounced guilty on the earth, guilty in the heavens, guilty for all of eternity. But when you run into Christ, in faith you not only find refuge in him, and freedom in him, but you are declared innocent on the earth, innocent in the heavens, and innocent for all of eternity. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. Because this gift of salvation and freedom and forgiveness is available to everyone who would seek to find refuge in Jesus Christ. Listen, if you're hurting today, are you facing something maybe seemingly impossible in your life right now? I don't know. Are are you without Christ in your life? Maybe you're a believer, but there are circumstances happening that are bearing down on you and you don't know what to do next. Listen to me, please. If you're being battered by a storm in your life right now, you need to know that no matter who you are, 
no matter what you've done, no matter what is happening to you right now, whether you brought it on by your own decisions and choices or maybe trouble has showed up at your doorstep by no doing of your own, no matter what it is, you need to know that you can run to him because God is our refuge and strength. He's a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, a holy habitation of the Most High, God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. Listen, the nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord. How he's brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us and the God of Jacob is our fortress. Do you understand that no matter who you are or what you've done, refuge in Christ is available to you right now? And so if you're in trouble today, run to Jesus Christ. If your situation seems hopeless, Run to Jesus Christ. If your hurt is more than you can bear, run to Jesus Christ. If you lie awake in the long hours of the night, fearful of what tomorrow holds, you run to Jesus Christ. And listen, if you've been trying to live your life without him and it's falling apart, run to Jesus Christ. Because no matter what you're facing today, no matter how difficult, no matter how hopeless, no matter how seemingly impossible it may be, run to Jesus Christ. And there, in him alone, you will find refuge. Let's pray.